So I invite you to listen carefully, listen well. Uh, Turn, if you will, to Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And hear the word of the Lord. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing unto you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This has obviously been a big day, a celebratory day, and uh, we're only halfway through the sacraments here. Baptism, but we're on our way to the table. Christ promises to purify us in baptism and to join us to himself at the table and also, by way of his word, illumine our hearts so that we might see him and know him. And so this morning, uh, I would like us to think just a bit about this theme, again, of baptism. Uh, We have been rejoicing this morning in the fulfillment of God's promises, which according to Acts chapter 2 are for us and for our children. And so we we are all gathered up into God's family, and Early was born into God's family and now has been sealed as a member of it. Uh, As we think about baptism, I want you to notice in particular that the efficacy, the effectiveness of the sacrament is not in our liturgy, though you could tell that was very carefully worked out for us in terms of the things we remember and do and say and the questions that we ask. But the effectiveness of baptism is not ultimately rooted in the liturgy. The effectiveness of the baptism is not ultimately uh, in the water, Um, As Reformed folks, uh, it is okay for someone to be immersed completely, and perhaps that's the best image of what happens in death and bringing uh, back, but also a pouring of water and even a sprinkling of water are appropriate and have grounding in the Scripture. Um, But the water itself is not the thing that makes the baptism effective all by itself, as important as it is. Uh, Neither does the pastor thank God, uh, affect the sacrament. Uh, St. Augustine uh, in the 300s was going through a time in the church where they were struggling to determine some of these things. There were actually some priests who under persecution had recanted their faith in the face of of, uh, Roman persecution and torture. And so they said, well, what about the folks who were baptized by these priests? What do we do with their baptisms? And the church came to the conclusion that the, the, the efficacy of the sacrament is not in the priest. Instead, the efficacy of the sacrament is rooted in the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Jesus, who commanded us to go into all the world and to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and promised that, lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. The efficacy of the sacrament is rooted in the faithfulness of Jesus Christ to keep his promises towards us. Not in the liturgy, ultimately. Not in the water, ultimately. Not in the priest, ultimately. But in the Lord Jesus. And so this morning, as we come 
to this sacrament. And as we celebrate it and continue to maybe ride high on, on the joy of it, I want us to remember that there is only one baptism. In a minute, we're going to affirm our faith using the Nicene Creed, not only the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed was originally a creed uh, uh, of baptism. When they asked, what is your faith? That's the, that's the faith recited and recounted. Uh, the Nicene Creed speaks to us especially of who Jesus is, both as human and divine and also in relation uh, to God the Father. But there's a line in there that confesses one faith, you heard it already, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all, in all, and through all. One baptism. Who in here has been baptized? Nearly everyone. And, of course, early this morning. That was more than one, wasn't it? More than one hand raised, but there's only one baptism. What are we talking about? Why does the church say this? You know, there's some folks who will say, um, you know, I've been rebaptized, uh, or that sort of thing. There, as, a, as a Reformed person, I would say, you know, uh, there's only one baptism. You can reaffirm uh, your faith, you, as, as, you know, John and Shannon did last week. As they entered the church, the church, they had the chance to reaffirm their baptismal vows. They turned from evil and sin in the world. They turned to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They are striving to be faithful disciples um, with God's help. Same thing confessed by Matt and Meredith as their child was baptized. And so we enter into baptism uh, with, with these things, but there's only one. Whose? We read about it just now. Jesus' baptism is the one baptism. <coughs> so we say when we come and we are baptized in the waters, that the waters make us clean, they join us to Christ. They, they purify us and our hearts spiritually. But Jesus didn't need purification. Though John's baptism was a, a, a baptism for repentant sinners, those who wanted to turn away from sin and towards God to come to be forgiven. This is what John was inviting them towards. And Jesus saw all those who were going down, the multitudes who were coming down and saying, yes, I want that. And he said, I will join you. I will enter into the water in the midst of those who are sinful. And Jesus actually wasn't purified by the waters, for he did not need it. Instead, Jesus purified the water. It worked the opposite way. Jesus was not purified by the waters. Jesus purified the water itself, so that now as we are baptized in the water into him and into his life, we can be washed clean. It is adjoining, this water is adjoining to the waters in which Christ was baptized, in which he purified in the whole world. In the same way, think of it like this. We say when Jesus enters our hearts, right, he, he, he purifies us. Well, he did the same thing in entering into the world on a larger scale in the incarnation. He entered into the world and entered into the waters of baptism. And in the same way that he enters your heart and purifies it, he entered the waters and purified them. God has entered the good creation which he made but which fell away from him and is now in the process of restoring that. When we think of baptism, we think of, uh, yes, being washed clean, forgiven, and in association with that, salvation. I'm going to tell you one story with three parts, and then that's, that's the sermon. So there was an evangelist 100 years ago. 
uh, who came and proclaimed the gospel and, and finished his talk, and a woman came up to him afterwards and said, um, Sir, would you, that was wonderful. Would you tell me, when were you saved? She was moved by his comments, heard the word of God in it, but wanted to know for him personally, when, when were you saved? And this man, in the same way that John the Baptist, who we encounter this morning, in the same way that John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease, so too did the evangelist follow this pattern. And he said, I was saved 1,900 years ago when Christ gave himself for me on the cross, was baptized, completed that baptism in blood, and then was raised up anew in the resurrection. That's when I was saved. You see what he was doing. He was, he was trying to point away from himself, away even from his own faith, because it is not your faith that saves you. It is Christ's faith for you. In, in every way, it is Christ who has lived faithfully and well. And so there's actually three kind of right answers to that question, and here they are. They correspond to the, to the names of the one God, the three names of the one God into whom we are baptized, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. When someone says, when are you saved? You could rightly say, I've been saved in the heart of the Father from all eternity. From before the foundations of the world, God the Father knew you and loved you. Now that love, which is from all eternity in the heart of the Father, became concrete and actual in the world, in this, on this earth, in the person of His Son Jesus, who lived for us as a human being, and also God, who was baptized alongside us and with us, saying, yes, I'm identifying with you. I take up the lot of, of those who are sinful and estranged from God, and I'm going to live faithfully within it for you. So Jesus, in his baptism, inaugurated in the Jordan, which was completed on the cross in blood, and by which he is then raised up anew and seated at the right hand of the Father in his ascension, and sends the Spirit now into our hearts in the person of Jesus, I was saved the, the 1900 or now the 2000 years ago. That's when I was saved. In the heart of the Father from all eternity, in the person of Jesus through his life and death and resurrection and ascension. But you can also say, and this is the one we usually lead with, though it's actually the least important, perhaps. You can also say, when the Holy Spirit sent from the Father through the Son into my life, opened up in my own experience, in my own living, the good news of the gospel. So that I could say yes and amen to what Jesus did for me already before I even knew it. That which has been true in the heart of the Father towards me from all eternity. And that faith, which is given you by the Spirit, and which we now seek to live, has been sealed upon you in baptism. You have consecrated your life to Him. And now opens up an eternity for all of us by which we are further and further more drawn into the life of God. Purification at the font, illumination by the word, and then union at the table. It's the life into which we're drawn this morning. Thanks be to God, we get to experience all three. In that name into which you have been baptized, the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.